Hello and welcome to the Plasticology Project podcast. Conversations about plastic pollution and stories from inspiring people trying to make the planet cleaner. My name is Dr. Paul Harvey and I am the host and author of the Plasticology Project. Thanks for joining me. Before we move into this episode of the Plasticology Project podcast, I wanted to thank everybody who has supported this podcast or the Plasticology Project book so far. It's been outstanding and just fantastic, the response that the book and the podcast have received. If you haven't already purchased a copy of the book, I encourage you to do so. You can purchase the book online on Amazon or any other bookstore online and retailers. Your support is absolutely vital in sharing the message of the Plasticology Project. If you're enjoying the Plasticology Project podcast and book and would like to help the mission, please go online, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review comment on the book on the platform that you purchased it from. That will help other people know that this is something worth their attention. Thank you so much for helping to support the Plasticology Project. On this episode of the Plasticology Project podcast, I speak with Sarah Jo Lobwain. Sarah Jo belongs to an organization, So Shire, the Sustainable Organizations of the Sutherland Shire in Sydney, New South Wales. Sarah Jo also operates under the title Ocean Tidings. Sarah Jo and I have known each other for a long time, and I first met Sarah Jo at a plastic pollution conference. Sarah Jo is an environmental educator, a campaigner, and plastic pollution warrior. Sarah Jo takes a very interesting approach to sourcing environmental pollution problems, and we will hear about that today in this podcast. Thank you for joining me on the Plasticology Project podcast. Sarah Jo, welcome. Please tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do in the world of environmental plastic pollution. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. Um, Yes, like you said, I'm Sarah Jo Lobween and I do a few things, but I am one of the founders of So Shire, which is Sustainable Organisations of the Sutherland Shire. And basically, in a nutshell, we support anything that's sustainable in our local community. So that's supporting businesses, schools and individuals to reduce their waste, reduce pollution and support. That means supporting things like if somebody's developed a great product, you know, like a reusable product or they've got a service like a compost service that's local. Um, If a business is trying to reduce waste in certain areas, we have a look at different customized solutions for them. If we can't find a local solution, we'll go broader. So state, Australia, international if we have to. Now through that, how we all started is we were doing cleanups locally and we noticed some features that were happening consistently in some areas so you know there were certain items that were always there or there were certain items that were only at certain parts of the the environment 
And then, so we started Plastic Free Sutherland Shire. So that is our first campaign of So Shire. So that's about reducing single-use plastics in the community, especially the ones that we're finding as polluted items, whether that's as litter or um, as debris, so washing in, which is still litter. Um, and so through that, obviously, we do many things. We do cleanups. Some are before COVID, it was, you know, the big public cleanups, which are really good for public awareness. But then we also do the smaller citizen science data cleanups, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about today. But basically, the purpose of them is we actually look at how much of each item that we're collecting to try and work out how we can stop that as a litter or debris item. And then in other parts of my life, I also am a, I'm a marine scientist and a marine educator. So I freelance in things like journalism and marine education. So I work for the Ocean Action Pod, which is one of my favourite things that I do because we work with the public and school groups on not just marine pollution solutions, but also marine science, which is my first love. So I started a lot of this stuff because I love the ocean and I used to walk along the beach and I noticed in over, especially over the last 15 years, how it, the amount of plastic and pollution in general was increasing in my local area. So that was an eye opener. And how I started all of this was I noticed stuff washing in that I personally used. And that was a big eye opener for me going, okay, do I really need to use these items? And why are they here? Where are they coming from? What were some of those items that you were seeing being washed up onto the shoreline, onto the beach? And walk me through your emotional state when you were seeing these things being washed up. Help me understand that some more. So, you know, originally, so I'll say, you know, over 10, 15 years ago, the things that were washing up were things like, which they still are now, but the plastic straws, the plastic bags, the coffee cup, the coffee lids and finding things like the coffee cup linings, the plastic PET bottles, and then really noticing the difference between the idea that everyone thought they were coming from overseas, but the 10 or so beaches or sites that we, you know, look at, a lot of it was actual in-situ litter. So it wasn't washing in. So the coffee cups were from the local shops being left at the beach or left at the park. The water bottles were local. They weren't washing in from Indonesia or Asia, for example. Um, we're still getting stuff that were coming from across the seas, but most of the majority was it from left there at that very site or washed in from our local rivers. So for example, you know, there's a certain colors of straws that we could track back to local cafes or bigger industry like McDonald's, um, the branded stuff, obviously, you know where they're coming from. They've got their <laughs> brand, their branded pollution on there. And then that also started to change to when things were introduced. So if there was a certain item being introduced, you start to see it. But for me, our big thing, which you know very well, Paul, that is um, we started to see cotton buds or let me go back, actually, white sticks. So back in the day, I didn't even think about the difference. There were just lots of white sticks. 
And that just increased. Like, you know, some days you might only find 10, but days we find hundreds or thousands. And then we started to notice a bit of a, um, like conditions that would happen. So if there was a lot of rain, it didn't really change much. So rain might bring in a lot of the other litter, but the bud, the white stick number didn't really change that much. But if we had swells, um, rain and swells, for example, we would find a lot. So that started us going, what are they? And that became, you know, an investigation, a citizen science investigation. So I work and volunteer for a lot of um, organisations. So we started actually collecting scientific data on it. So a certain length of beach, how many of these sticks, where were they? And through that, you know, you determine things like the white sticks, some were lollipop sticks with a hole up the top. Well, some lollipops don't have the hole now. Um, the thinner ones were the cotton buds and they've got ridges on the end, but sometimes they don't. And then through COVID, we started seeing a lot more white sticks or actually the longer swabs. And then you get white, what we call sticks, but they're not really sticks. They could be the ends of like tags or lobster tags, lots of rings from, you know, your vitamin containers. People just pull the ring off. But the number of the cotton buds was always way more than the other sticks. Um, and then obviously different sites of different things. So if you're at a park, you would obviously find a lot of lollipops from litter and no cotton buds. And the guess the things that started happening for us to kind of went, whoa, what's going on here is these cotton buds didn't have any cotton on them, Paul. So um, they weren't people coming down and using them and leaving on the ground. We might find a few, like in a car park, you might find a few, but on the beaches, they were no cotton on them, just the plastic sticks. Then we found some that had this white uh, kind of greasy kind of attachment to it, which I know from my background is fat oil and grease from the sewage system, or that's what I you know, presume from working in the industry. And then I started, well, us, not just me, we started finding six millimetre and five millimetre pieces of these buds. And we went, right, what's going on here? So I'll try and, <laughs> it's, it's been a journey. It's been a five-year journey. Um, but basically, in summary, these cotton buds and some of the lollipops and the vitamin rings, et cetera, are from our sewage system. Hang on, they're coming from the sewerage system. How are they getting into the sewerage system? So what is happening is people are putting them down the toilet and they're getting through our filtration system in our sewerage treatment. Basically, there's three main types of treatment, primary, secondary and tertiary. And we thought perhaps these buds are only coming from the primary treatment but we've actually found out they're coming out whether it's primary, secondary or tertiary because the physical filtration in our main local sewage treatment. So here in Cronulla, we have one at Potter Point. Across the bay, there's one at Main Bar. The Main Bar is primary and it has a pipe that goes out to sea for a few kilometres. Here at Cronulla, it's tertiary treated and it literally is just off the cliff at Potter Point. 
Now, so we thought they're all coming from main bar. Now, majority of Sydney's treatment is at main bar. Sarah Jo, just to double check, as a Sydney cider myself, I wasn't familiar that there was a treatment plant at main bar that serviced a large population. Is it main bar or is it Malabar, the treatment plant? It's Malabar, the treatment. So Cronulla at Porter Point and Malabar is what I call across the bay. And that's I th- that's the one that majority of Sydney's sewage is treated. And that's across from us. And that's only primary. So I think at the start, I said, you know, we thought they were coming from there. And I might have actually said main bar, not Malabar. Yes, I thought that might have been the case, given that they have very similar names and a very similar location geographically, it is easy to get confused. So now tell me more about what you have discovered with these sewage treatment plants. And what is it that gives you sticks of all different sizes uh, that you're finding washing up on the beach? Through our investigation, it's actually the physical treatment. So whether it's primary or tertiary, the filters are six millimeter or five millimeter. There's, there's different types of filtration. Like for example, Cronulla, it's a step filter. And what happens is those buds, cause they're less than six millimeters, they fall straight through. Or if they go across the filter, they get cut into those six or five millimeter pieces. So that's, the evidence we found that they were definitely coming from our sewage. That six millimeter and those little pieces were the clincher because originally we were told, oh, it's probably coming from stormwater. Now, I don't know about you, Paul, I've probably seen about five buds on the street in my lifetime, which, you know, they might come from accidentally coming out of the bin. You know, when the council comes and cleans up the bin, if they're being loose in the bin, they might fall out. I don't see thousands of buds in my street being flushed out down through the stormwater. I, I see straws, I see coffee cups, but I don't see buds. So the lollipops, you know, it's a bit harder. You know, they could be, they're a mix. They come from stormwater, but people are also flushing them down the toilet. But the buds, the majority of the buds are coming from our sewage treatment. And obviously the fat oil grease too, which we know um, that residue is in you know, in the pipes of the treatment, depending on where these buds are, you know, where they are on the way to the sewage treatment and after. So that's obviously our second part of our evidence. And then only last year, um, Sydney Water did publicly say that cotton buds were a huge issue for our sewage systems, that they can't filter them out easily. One, because they're lightweight, so they float. And I don't know about you, Paul, but it's 2022. I think we can figure out how to, you know, get rid of floating plastic. But <laughs> but then also, too, they get through those um, filtration. Now, this is a problem nationwide and internationally, but many international country places were taking a bit more action. You know, Scotland and UK had already banned plastic cotton buds and they were already saying there was an issue in sewage with them, like um, with wet wipes and stuff like that. While here locally, you know, they weren't publicly saying statewide or nationwide 
that there were issues. They were trying to say, no, no, it's not an issue, but we knew it. Internationally, they were telling you where these buds were coming from and were banning them. Um, so, you know, that leads to great discussion on three things. Obviously, education is very, very important because who's flushing things down the toilet? I don't, you don't, the most people that I know don't, but the fact that we can get thousands of these buds washed up on a beach. So how many people are flushing these down the toilet in Sydney alone, let alone across Australia? Um, we had some wonderful help up and down the coast. So Victoria, Better Buds, they helped us with more like information about how, how they were getting the buds on their beaches. So, for example, upgrading filters to two millimetres, for example, which we can talk a little bit more. That's not going to be a perfect solution, but that's one way of stopping the items larger than two millimetres getting through. Um, and then for me too is it's 2022 and we've been treating the ocean like our rubbish bin for way too long. The fact that for how many years these buds and let alone anything else, anything else that was smaller than six millimetres is been getting out there um, is just, I just find it bizarre that, you know, we're 2022, we do have the technology to, for example, recycled water. So recycled water means it has to be at drinkable level. So for me, the water going out into the ocean shouldn't have these pollutants at all. So even when they do the clean, clean beaches report and they say, oh, it's, it's good or it's excellent, but it will have buds on it. So for me, it's not good. It's not excellent because it might not have the bacteria or the viruses or certain levels of chemicals that they don't want, you know, out on the beaches that we're swimming in. But if plastics are being washed out there through the sewage system, for me, that's not a clean beach. I agree with you. When there is plastic there, plastic is a pollutant. And when there is plastic present on those beaches, it is not a clean beach. So you're 100% right in saying that. Obviously, there is work that can be done with the treatment plants. For some people listening to this podcast, it might come as a surprise that we still have uh, coastal and deep water outfalls for um, sewage water, particularly in Sydney. But is this necessarily a problem of the sewage treatment plants or as you said before is this more of a problem of education and stopping people from thinking that the toilet is this magical contraption that sits in the bathroom that makes things disappear and solves all of the, the waste problems um, of things that possibly we don't want to be throwing in the bin or yeah you're right you know and you asked me earlier too about like the emotional connection you know so for me so I saw those buds on the beach for example went well I know I don't flush them down the toilet but I use them so I looked for the alternatives but I've got the capacity and the knowledge to look for those alternatives so I went all right there's, there's the non-plastic versions there's the bamboo versions but for me I think it's I think it's equal education because 
why are people thinking the toilet is this magical contraption? So where does that come from? Like, how did I learn? Do we grow up learning that? You know, is do people come from other countries or other cultures and they do have a different type of system for their sewage or most of it I think is unconscious. So they don't even think about it. Like I was talking to a few people and they said, oh yeah, I didn't even know that we couldn't flush these other things down. So for example, you know, like wet wipes or toilet wipes that have got plastic in it, they're marketed as that. So education is equal parts from what the industry and the asset itself has to do. So for example, um, you know, we, people don't realize tissues and paper towels, for example, shouldn't go down the toilet because the weave in them, even though they don't have plastic in them, the weave in them is too strong. So really all that should go down the toilet, you know, is pee, poo, spew and toilet paper. But you'd be surprised how people go, oh, I thought I could put paper towels. I thought I could put paper down there. So I think education is very, very important, but you need that as a public awareness program because people need to see what, what actually sewage is. That's the thing. A lot of it's hidden. You flush that lid, that you put the lid down and you flush, it's unseen. It goes down a pipe and people don't even think about it unless they have a problem. You know, if they're, pipes clogged then they might think about it and go oh what's happened for it to be clogged but most people don't actually realize what sewage treatment really is and how much money how much science is in it and if we want to move forward you know thinking about not putting things into the ocean it is on us to not pollute the sewage system because it is on us. We're the ones causing the pollution. If you're putting this stuff down the toilet, then you're the one that's done it. But then on the other hand, people have been putting things down the toilet for so long and there is the technology there for better filtration. And unfortunately, there will always be people who either unconsciously or consciously will put things down the toilet that they shouldn't. And if we've got the technology we should be stopping this stuff happening. For example, um, you know, I don't think it's Sydney Water or all the water sewage companies around Australia. I don't think it's their fault that microfibers, for example, from our clothes, it's not their fault that that's in our sewage, right? But we need to get smarter about that, about how do we stop that getting to the ocean? So, if it's too hard at the end, you know, stopping this stuff once it's get to sewage, we should be looking at things further up. So should all our washing machines have filters that we have to empty after every wash that stops that microfiber? So see what I mean? That's why I think it, it, it's both. For me, I can't believe that in 2022, stuff like this was still being let out when I know the technology is there. That technology is could be intensive money-wise, but we shouldn't be flushing this stuff out into the ocean. And as a personal um, human level, do you want to be swimming in this stuff anymore? Like, you know, like, can you believe that this is what's been happening? So I, I, I've obviously rambled on a bit, but I, I'm a huge believer on I find it equal. 
it, it is we have the technology, we should be investing in stopping this stuff getting to the ocean. But the more we stop it getting in there in the first place, whether it's from banning things, education, so proper use, um, you know, and that's that's not just about what you don't put in there. I think, like I said at the you know at the beginning of this, is if people know how systems work, then they might realize what they're doing is wrong. Um, like I'll be honest, I used to put tissues down the toilet, so I've only learnt through through this that that shouldn't happen. So if I only just found this out a few years ago, think about the people who don't spend their days researching plastics, pollution, sewage and stormwater. Not all of it is their fault. So is one part of the solution to this a need to update the sewage system? So our sewage systems in Australia, we're really very lucky. But I think that's the issue is I think a lot of people... Um, think somebody else is going to solve our problems for us. You know, like even me personally, I thought the sewage issue had been solved back in the 70s, 60s, 80s, you know, all those marches about fixing up the pollutants from sewage. I thought the problem was fixed and it was only because I saw, I found these things about the buds and had to work out where they're coming from. I've since learnt, no, like the, the issues aren't solved. You mentioned a minute ago about banning these types mm. of materials. Tell me more about the <laughs> bud bans. Bud bans, yeah. So very excited about this. So from the 1st of November in New South Wales, which I concentrate on because this is where um, I live. I live in South Sydney. So 1st of November in New South Wales, plastic cotton buds so those plastic stems will be banned so you can't purchase them they can't be supplied to you but unfortunately you can buy them all the way up to the first of november which you know talking about phases and bans this is one of our issues in the industry as you would know paul so for us personally for example we know now we will see all those buds wash up for years to come because people will have these plastic stems in their homes in their businesses even though there's plenty of alternatives now there's even reusable buds silicon ones that can be washed there's plenty of bamboo cardboard versions which that's still the issue too if people flush them down the toilet so all because they're not made out of plastic anymore doesn't mean they can go down the toilet they'll get clogged up with the oil um, that people shouldn't be flushing down their drains either. So even though this is a great, we're really happy about this, we're one of the groups, there's a lot of groups in, in New South Wales who have petitioned and rallied to get these certain items banned. But the understanding of, okay, this is banned, we've switched to all the alternatives, the non-plastic alternatives, doesn't mean we keep on doing this bad behaviour of using the toilet has it been and then also or because something is made non-plastic doesn't mean you still use it you know still reduce what you're using if possible um and then linking to the ban so it's one of the items banned from first november so as your listeners may know we had our first ban of single-use plastic bags which were the 35 micron or less 
the thicker ones are still allowed, unfortunately. Um, and linking to the items I was talking about, the lollipops aren't banned. So it'll be interesting to see in our data cleanups if, so I'm predicting, you know, the first year after the ban, we'll still see thousands of buds washing in. Then I'm predicting maybe from the year after, we start to see, hopefully, that's the plan, right, if they're not being purchased. But we'll then maybe, the mainly the white sticks we'll find will be the lollipops because they're not being banned. So, um, and that's another situation because they're made out of plastic. They can be made out of cardboard because, poor when I was younger, my lollipops came on a cardboard stick and we were fine. And that little hole in them is meant to be for the safety thing, you know, if people choke. But if you choke on that white stick, plastic, you're going to be choking anyway. So I think a cardboard stick has less issue for the environment and health-wise. Um, and also, too, with these bans, they come about from people collecting data. So what are they finding on beaches and parks as litter? If there's alternate solutions for them and we don't need them, like they're silly single use, you really don't need them, there's a reason why they've been easily banned. There are other items that need to be banned that aren't. Um, I don't know, I'm happy to talk about, you want to talk about the other things that are banned on the 1st of November? Yeah, let's, let's hear about the other things that are also banned on the 1st of November. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is a good segue what we've been finding this week, Paul. So we've got, you've got, like I said, your cotton buds, um, microbeads, which, you know, have been voluntarily being phased out. They should have never been, in, you know, been put in products anyway. So for your listeners, microbeads are those bits of plastic that are in face washes, toothpaste, that have no purpose because they were, you know, I had a face wash I used when I was a teenager, poor, that didn't have it and it was a great face wash. And then all of a sudden they put plastic microbeads in it. And it was like, why? There was no need for it. And we joke around with the students, you might as well cut up the plastic packaging into small bits and rub that on your face because that's what's basically happening. And in toothpaste, like consumption, where they purposely put plastic in that we, we could consume it. It's just ridiculous. Um, and that's a really, you know, important point about choices, for example. So it might be my choice to buy that plastic packaging. I've made that choice but I didn't have the choice what they're putting into it. They put that in sneakily, right? So obviously I can make a choice of buying non-plastic packaging or buying bulk refill, but some of these things, we talk about plastic pollution, um, goes beyond your personal responsibility. Like that's, you know, I didn't make any decision about putting plastics into toothpaste, for example. Um, other things are banned. So are plastic plates and bowls here in New South Wales. Now, other states are banning further things. They go, they've got all, we're, we're pretty, we're not too good on the state of origin of um, plastic bans and phase out pour, but I hope we get there. I hope this is just a start. The thing about them is, if, it can, if the bowl comes with the lid, they can still sell it, hand it out. So it's just the plate and the bowl without the lid. So <laughs> read into that what you will. And then also 
polystyrene, which we're very, very happy about, but it's it hopefully is just the first step. So it's only the food packaging polystyrene. So that's your styrofoam coffee cups, um, even the you know, um, clamshell polystyrene, they're being banned. So that's really good because polystyrene is up there in our top five of things we find on the beach. The issue is most of the polystyrene we're finding even lately has been stuff from insulation. You know, like you might get in your teeth if you buy a TV. So we want that stuff banned as well. And there are alternatives for that. You know, there's the stuff made out of mushrooms. I think it's called mycelium. There's a version that they've made out of um, cornstarch. There's other versions where it's made out of wool. Like there are plenty of alternatives for polystyrene. So we're hoping not just the food packaging will be banned in the future. And linking to that, this week, we'd had a couple of cleanups and we've been finding 30-year-old polystyrene packaging, not only washing up on our beaches, but from the sand that's been eroded away from this latest weather event. And it's just amazing. It's bits of McDonald's quarter pounder packaging. It's just and we've found at Cronulla, so we think that's from the sand embankment that's been um, eroding away. But people have found pieces of McDonald polystyrene down at Illawarra beaches, Gibbon. And what I just can't believe is how clean it is. Like it's just, you know, if you found all the bits and pieces put back together, it would be look, it would be the same, look exactly the same as if you picked it up off the beach thirty years ago. It's just. And that just shows you how much this stuff lasts forever and it just needs to be banned. I was talking to a PhD researcher from the University of Tasmania on the last episode of this podcast and his yep. interest is in future fossils. Wow, And yes. plastic being one of those future fossils that he speaks about. You're really finding those future fossils washing up right. onto the shore, aren't you? Yes, yes. And that's what I like. So I put a, you know, a call out yesterday. That's what I'm now really interested in because it's all about tracking the source. So obviously we know the original source, it's, it's packaging from McDonald's over 30 years ago. And we know it's 30 years ago because they stopped polystyrene in their burger packaging. They were still doing it for their drinks for another decade, I think. But why all of a sudden we're all finding them? So I know why we are finding them at Cronulla because there's a huge, huge amounts of sand that's been eroded away. So we found old Pepsi cans in there, um, a certain colour of straw, heaps of them, which we think is from the old milk bar there. And that, even though we didn't have a Macca's there in 30 years, obviously we did have McDonald's locally. So people would have brought their packaging to the beach and it's either been left there as litter or it's been washed in from local rivers and then it's been covered by the sand over time. I, I could make a pun there, the sands of time. But <laughs> so I 
like you know we saw in the sandbag so that's why I know we're finding it Cronulla but does that mean our pieces have through the currents got over to Gibbon and down to Illawarra or have they also having the same situation we are where their sandbanks are eroding their dune system you know is being eroded is all those old litter pieces now coming to our visibility? Another idea is, it, is there a coastal old landfill site that we haven't found yet that is releasing these items? I'll give you an example down in Victoria. Years ago, they started to find these old stuff and what happened was it was actually a landfill site right on the beach and you could see the layers of all the past rubbish just being washed out because of that sand had been eroded out so you know my brain now is like are we finding who where where's the source of everybody's stuff basically for example is the jibbon one from the beach at jibbon or has it come from cronulla or is there somewhere in the port hacking for example, that is now releasing its future fossils, for example, as you as you called it, um, or is there another site? So for example, Tower Point here locally, um, we did a cleanup last year and we found locked in the mangroves bottles from the 60s. And these are plastic bottles and you can see the different era. So sometimes it's hard to tell, like there was heaps of plastic combs, plastic toothbrushes, which is, you know, to be expected. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of weird, you know, like lots of combs. So that was like, that's where the combs go to die, you know, the burial combs. Um, hardly any straws. And so that tells you stuff about currents, but also where things get collected. Lots of polystyrene, lots of microplastic because it's been sitting there in the mangroves degrading so we went to pick up you know plastic containers and they'll just crumple in our hands but for me it was you found all these old bottles um for example they have the black plastic bottom that kept their large soft drink bottles upright while they then um, changed the design of PET bottles that you don't need that black plastic bottom so we found a couple of them this week as well, washing up Cronulla. So, you know, I've got no proof, but this is about the detective work. Is some of this McDonald's stuff coming from places like the mangroves that have been submerged? What, what's happening? Um, a lot of it is detective work, um, you know, and some things you, I just, I still don't even understand. Like in, in Tower Point, for example, there were polystyrene boxes that, that weren't broken down but the only way they could get there was either through the mangroves or blown over, and yet they were intact. So it, it is amazing where plastic gets to and finding its source, so not just who uses it and why and stopping that, but where does it come from as a debris item? It really is incredible to hear the things that you're finding and also the locations that you're finding them in. Not so much the mangroves, because as 
uh, environmental scientist, we understand that the mangroves are the filters of the waterways. And so we can expect to find debris as well as other sorts of pollutants. Um, but also the other things that the mangroves are there to naturally filter out the, the parts of the, the water that they're designed to accumulate in a naturally yeah. operating system. But what really fascinates me is when I saw those photos that you captured this week of these plastics from the 80s, the 90s, somewhere around there, and they look as though you've just purchased them from the outlet. They are completely unblemished. Yeah. There's there's very little sun damage, if any, Um, and with the with the exception of them being, you know, torn up for some of the, the components, they are exactly the, the item that would have been received by the consumer back when they were in, in operational use. Yeah. Um, so that, that actually just blows my mind away because we, we think when we talk about plastics that uh, we think about what we put out now and contemplate well will this be around in 10 years 50 years but i know for me my mind sort of paints this picture that it won't look the same as it does as i'm holding it today but the reality is the plastics and the material that you're finding washing up on the beach at the moment this this week gone there's a good chance that the people that originally held those items the consumers are no longer with us and you know it's it's just you you put that into your own perspective in your own thought space you think well this item that i'm holding this coffee cup that i've just purchased this uh chip packet whatever it might be this water bottle i've used for all of three or four minutes as its functional operating life yeah. And yet that is going to be remaining in the environment for decades on decades on decades to come. And as you've shown with your photos in almost the exact same condition as you're holding it and you've just finished its operating life. That yeah. just blows me away. And that speaks to why plastic is so problematic and why we really do need to be changing the way we use plastic as a resource and thinking more cleverly about plastic as a resource because yes. it is something that we need. Yeah. There are so many parts of modern life where plastic is important to us. Yeah. Yeah. But we can't continue to use it in the same way that we have yeah. been using it to this point. It's um I call it, you know, we say silly plastic, but I call it, you know, it's irresponsible use of plastic. So, you know, as, as you know, we're not we're not anti-plastic. It's amazing invention. Um, we just exactly it, it is a resource it's intensive resource energy wise pollution wise so it should be only used for uses and services that are sorry uses and products that there is no other alternative or it is the best material to use it you know things in our bodies medicine wise there is a reason why we have to use certain things like plastic but for me, you know, like my little, the, the, the sushi fish, you know, that's a perfect example of irresponsible plastic. It, it serves 
no real purpose because you know there's not enough soy sauce in there. Um, it is an automatic litter item because the lid is so easy to drop on the ground. It's hard to recycle, even though it's great plastic recycle, but this plastic should have been kept for something that is necessary, not two seconds of pouring a little bit of soy sauce, for example. And there is alternatives. There are the bulk jar for soy sauce. So it's not, I call it swap for the C. That's my big plug. I call it swap for the C, decisions and products. So I'm not telling you to give up cotton buds, for example, if you really need to use them, but that you shouldn't last on this earth or pollute this earth for a very long time after your two second use of it. So is there a usable solution? Is there a truly compostable solution, which we could talk about ours as well, you know, the words compostable biodegradable, but if it truly does not compost in, you know, we say our lifetime, but it should, you know, if it doesn't compost within a week, a month, and then it should not be used if it's single use thing. Um, you know, that's why plastic straws. I know um, people don't like some paper straws. Is there a paper straw that can be composted or is there a, a straw that's made from food waste, for example, or grass? You know, there's heaps of alternatives now. There's seaweed straws, there's um, rye straws. Like it's actually made from waste products that we would chuck out anyway in the agricultural industry is now the straw. But even better, do you really need that straw anyway? If it's still made out of paper, it still had to be processed. So do you really need it? And, um, you know, talking about those pieces of plastic, you know, of polystyrene. So obviously, you know, you and me, we see a lot. So I always see polystyrene, and especially after the swells and the wind, you see heaps. But I can honestly say to you, I've never seen so much. And the hard stuff is to determine how old some of this stuff is. So we found heaps of clean um, styrofoam cups, pieces, but I can't tell you whether that's current or past litter or debris, right? Because um, if it's clean, does that mean it's recent? Or like now that we've seen with the McDonald's pieces, they're reasonably clean as well. So does that tell me that that styrofoam cups that we're finding, and they old litter too, and they've just been locked in that sand. So there's no sun, no UV to degrade it. Um, it's not in beautiful soil or mangroves for that type of degradation. It's not in the ocean to get a biofilm on it. It's been locked in that cold, dark, environment of sand so you know finding the mcdonald's ones is is great because it's not great but you know what i mean you can id you can work out what year it was if you work out when they stopped making it so you can get an age uh, uh, you know timeline but the other stuff with no branding but I, I just yeah it was just and the fact that they're all in those little pieces too what does that tell us because the fact that i wasn't finding um, entire containers, yet they're all in those little pieces. It, you know, that's also, what does that mean? Um, and, but yeah, so from, you know, summary of this week for me has been, I'm going to presume a lot of the styrofoam we're finding, like the cups and the bits of plate, could be exactly where those McDonald's stuff came from. It could be a lot of fossil litter. Um, Yes, and you gave me, you know, goosebumps what you said before. That's my my personal connection to these things are 
is this thing that I'm using really, does it really need to be used if it's going to last, outlast me? Can it be recycled? Is recycling even the solution? Like, is that really the solution for it? Can I stop using it? Can I reuse it? Um, and then also design. So, um, you know, if something, some single-use items still have to be out of plastic, can we redesign them better so they can be recycled? So they don't have the little five different pieces of plastic. So those five bits of plastic, only one piece can be recycled, you know? Um, like without going too much into other stuff we've had to be detectives for, Paul, but um, for example, the, over a few years, we've been finding little yellow, red and white L-shaped clips, you know, and then we found out through our community, they're from the sunscreen spray bottles. We didn't have those types of seals a few years ago. Now we do. So that's accidental litter. People take a sunscreen bottle down to the beach, they open up the seal and it just, you know, it just falls off. So that needs to be redesigned. So, you know, can that plastic bottle, sunscreen bottle be designed better so we don't have three different types of plastic on that bottle because it won't be recycled into, you know, the same stream item. It also has different bits of litter item. Um, and other things we found, you know, like I said, the, um, the rings around the vitamins, right? C can we design that bottle better? Because um, that's a flimsy bit, you know, that's literally used once. It's important, it's a seal, but can we find a seals for bottles that better? Um, one thing you and I have talked about before, the plastic inner in bottle tops, you know, we find heaps of them now, not just the lids, the, the inner bits of the lid. Um, and one other, I wouldn't say cool thing, but, you know, one other detective thing that we had to do was we started finding these little screws, I guess you could call them, mainly green in my area, and we didn't know what they're from, and a community member um, worked it out. It was when a particular council changed their bin lids and the colour of the lid was different. And so the screw that puts those lids on, when they were changing, those lids were just left on the ground. And then we started finding them during that time. So that's a new one, right? And it was like, our council hadn't done that. So that was just coming across the bay. So that, for example, that stormwater and also um, from the ocean debris. Um, and it's like, okay, we can't get rid of bins. <laughs> you know, we need them. But that, that's just, that shouldn't happen. Those little things shouldn't happen. It really is fascinating to hear all the bits and pieces that you're finding and also your passion for what you're doing. It sounds like you've discovered a space in plastic pollution that really is your calling. Would I be right? You're continually finding litter and debris items that make me question um, the source and how we can solve it. And for me personally, also my personal choices, like without, well, you know, confession time, I used to work for a company and we used to um, pour tea and coffee for free into styrofoam, styrofoam cups. I, I, look, I have, you know, I... Hopefully all the plastic that I'm picking off the beaches, you know, every day, Paul is making up for that. Because I go back now and I go, okay, I presume they're not on the beach. Obviously, we put them in the bin. 
that all those styrofoam cups that I personally touched, you know, I was involved in that. That is now in landfill somewhere forever. Um, and styrofoam can be recycled, but that's not the solution, right? You don't keep on using something just because it can be recycled. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> there is an interesting point to make about that though. And it is when you were pouring those drinks, you didn't have the knowledge that you have now about plastic right. and about environmental pollutants. Equally so, some people that are listening to this won't have that knowledge. This yes. conversation that we're having might be their first introduction to plastic as a pollutant and yes. the problems that we're seeing with plastics on a global scale. Yes. So everybody is at a different place in their journey, but there's yes. always opportunities to learn more and to gain more knowledge. And even just having this conversation with you now, I'm learning about different sources of plastic that I would not have thought about yeah. and without you having you know, brought my attention to them now i would probably live blissfully into the future unaware yes exactly and you know and that's my big you know my big thing i talk about people is it is everything adds up so everything you learn and the changes you make they all add up you can't be 100 percent perfect in your choices and even those choices change over time what we thought something was a good idea a few years ago we find out now there's a better way for it and you know i think that's what it's all about learning from the past learning from the great research and the great initiatives that people are doing now and finding a way forward into the future Sarah Jo, thank you yeah. for having a chat with me today on the Plasticology Project podcast. For anybody that is listening that would like to learn more about what you do or would like to get involved, how can they do that? Okay, well, the, probably the best way to get in contact is if you are in Southern Sydney or even just in Sydney or New South Wales, is so shire. And then we also have Plastic Free Southern Shire. So we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then me personally, you can find me as Ocean Tidings um, on social media as well. So Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And do you also have a website? Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that old school thing, website. <laughs> Yes, yes, I have a, we have a, so we have a website, so so shy, so um, www.soshy.org. So that is S O S H I R E, so so shy. So that's from, this stands for Sub Sustainable Organizations of the Southern Shire, hence where the so shy came from. And on there is the little drop down for Plastic Free Southern Shire, but so Shire is a website. And then me personally, yes, I have Ocean Tidings website as well. Sarah Jo, thank you so much for sharing your journey through plastic pollution and some of your discoveries with us here on the Plasticology Project podcast. It has been an absolute blast listening to your stories and hearing about some of those incredible things that you've discovered, including what we now are calling 
these future fossils by way of those plastic packages uh, that appear to be re-emerging after decades being hidden away from the world. So thank you for all of your hard work and please continue what you're doing and making a change for the better. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Plasticology Project podcast. It's been great having you along. If you'd like more information, please see the show notes. Alternatively, head to www.docpjharvey.com. The Plasticology Project podcast receives no financial support. If you would like to support the Plasticology Project podcast or any of the other Plasticology Project initiatives, please follow the link on the website. This has been another episode of the Plasticology Project podcast. Thanks for listening.